<laughs> we're talking before this whole thing like this book is has so many points in it that it's hard to talk about one specific thing Welcome to the Practity Lab, the podcast where we put the tips, tricks, and methods of getting stuff done to the test. I'm your host, Kyle. And I'm Mark. And today we are doing a book review for the book Algorithms to Live By by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths. It's a book about how to apply the discoveries of computer science into your daily life to make better decisions. But before we get to that, how are you doing, Mark? What have you been up to? I've been up to not too much, just a little bit distracted. I don't know why I've been distracted. So there's been quite a few things that I haven't actually gotten done this week. Mm-hmm. It's just been a very busy week, probably during uh, at the old day job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite busy and hectic, but uh, just working on uh, just a small personal essay. I started outlining a short story in which I need to write. (laughs) (laughs) I've produced no words outside of the outline. So I need to do that. And then just kind of enjoying freedom before my classes start in a few weeks, uh, in like two weeks. These are classes for what? My copy editing. That's right. Um, So the first one is called Grammar Lab. I'll spend 10 weeks diving into all the rules of grammar. Sounds like a spinoff of our show. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which is funny because the main topic that I've been having in my writing conversations have been the Oxford comma or the serial comma. Oh, okay. Which led me to reread the, you know, the famous lawsuit the t- what ten million dollar lawsuit? What? Um, oh, you haven't ner- heard I don't about know that? About this. Uh, I'll 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 add a link to it uh, so you can read the judge's opinion. So I reread that whole court document. It's like, it's like Oxford font, a comma, and a contract. Like screw something up in an interpretation or? in payment of overtime. So the according to the contracts and the you know the the law and everything that the company must pay overtime except for certain actions. Mm. Then they list those actions (laughs) that they will not pay. But when it comes to the last one, I think it's for packing for shipment or distribution of, and then it bullet points, lists those things. Mm -hmm. The problem was, is that if you don't use a serial comma, the last items in the list are actually paired together. And because you have an or, there's no comma before that coordinating conjunction. It <laughs> it makes it, it, it doesn't read that those uh, things are separate activities or however it reads. And so it makes it optional. So their argument was that they don't do that particular activity. Therefore, they should get paid. And wow. the company was like, no, no, you should read those things together. And they were like, no, no, because if you're going to pair those things together, then you didn't even you're violating the parallelism by you're listing all these things as a gerunds, you know, adding the ing, you know, driving, walking, whatever. But then for the last items that you did not have the serial comma for, you break that parallelism 
the ing for all the gerunds uh, for mm-hmm. for those words, and you make it pack and shipment and distribution, not distributing, right? And so then it gets into all these grammatical rules oh and how you had to actually write and structure the sentence <laughs> if you did not want to use a serial comma. Uh, it's wow, very fascinating. I'm so happy I'm not in legal work. <laughs> Wow. But it's, it's it's very fascinating. I mean, like that's so all my discussions have been around technical writing and, and uh, in that fashion and people trying to create style guides. And, you know, they're you know, some teams are hating on the serial comma and they're trying to defend it. And they're pointing to all these sources, like mostly in journalism and magazine and print. They use the AP style guide, which does not use the serial comma, but they make a note to say that if you're making a list of items and it causes confusion or creates ambiguity in that list, then you should add a serial comma. And I'm like, just do it by default because (laughs) you don't want people to think when you say, I love cooking my family and dog. (laughs) Yeah. If there's no comma to separate that list, people may think that you not <laughs> like to cook your family members and your dog. Yeah, or like the famous one, uh, let's eat grandma or let's eat grandma. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, th- we're getting off, off tangent. <laughs> That's been filling my week, actually, which is weird. In all my writing discussions and chats that I've had this week has mm. somehow centered on the serial comma. And that's in video chat sessions that uh, writing chat sessions that I've had and on uh, forum messaging and where people are seeking advice and in my day job when I'm reviewing people's writing and they're providing technical instructions, I'm like, we need a comma here. Um, So anyway, (laughs) we're way too, way too (laughs) deep in, in, in the writing and copy editing stuff, but that's kind of been my week. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, so I have uh, I've kind of decided that I'm going to be working on a different kind of goal this month. Like, yeah, I'm going to be writing and stuff. I'm going to be podcasting still. But uh, the weather is really good right now uh, before it gets too hot here in Texas. It's not too cold anymore. We're not going through an ice apocalypse anymore, which is great. <laughs> so I decided that by the end of the month, I'm going to run 20 consecutive miles. And I've done this before. I've ran 20 consecutive miles around uh, our downtown uh, trail, the the uh, was it the Ann Butler Hike and Bike Trail that goes around Town Lake or Lady Bird Lake, depending on uh, what you prefer to call it. And that's about a 10 mile trail. And I I've sometimes ran that trail twice, uh, just for the sake of it. But every time I did, it, I never really trained for it, and I think it really wrecked my body for a couple of days. So this month I'm trying to practice or train myself to be able to run 20 consecutive miles without uh, stopping except for bathroom breaks. That's the one exception that I'll give myself as bathroom breaks. And that's it. So today, despite raining or not raining, drizzling all morning, I went for a 15 mile run, keeping it close to my house. I typically go for a long distance, try to get away from my house. But since it was raining so much, I ran close to the house for safety reasons. And I just kept on like, running laps around my neighborhood until I reached 15 miles. And that was uh, 
That was something. I, I, I've been doing this for the past couple of weeks. I did like 10 miles one day. The next day, I did like thir- not next day, I give myself at least three days of rest. The next session, I do about 13 miles. And I'm trying to go back and forth, trying to get to that 20 miles by the end of the month. And it's something, uh, it's exhausting. I've learned the uh, hard way that these runs are really taking a lot out of me, not just physically. Uh, for example... Uh, my partner, Amberly, she pointed out that uh, the the next day after I run, like I'm just like a, a low energy, just can't do anything. So she, see, she, uh, being the smart woman that she is, suggested I do all my training runs on Saturdays instead of Sundays, like I typically do. So I decided to opt in for the rest of the month. I'll be doing my long runs on Saturdays, and maybe Wednesday morning, maybe like going to work late on Wednesdays. Uh, because I do want to run these long runs twice a, twice a week, but it's taking a lot out of me. The day after I do these runs, I can't do anything. I can't do that much creative work. Uh, standing hurts sometimes. <laughs> like, yeah, I bought new shoes so that way, uh, my feet could be better. I I'm slowly breaking them in. The guy at the running store said I shouldn't break. I shouldn't use them on my long run long runs just yet. So I should break them with like walking around and that stuff. But yeah, it's it's exhausting. It's a quiet project. But I typically run 10 consecutive miles at the most. And I found myself over, I was running today and the other time this week, after 10 miles, I could feel the soreness come in. And I always start thinking about food after 10 miles. Like as soon as I hit the 10 mile mark today, it's like, when I get home, I'm going to eat this, 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 and this. <laughs> like oh, That is so dangerous. <laughs> when I would do, I know that pain. Well, not recently because of my leg still, but... Uh, not too long ago when I would cycle, like do 15, 20, 25, 30 miles, you know, on a Saturday, my Sundays, I was a complete bum. Um, my legs were sore, (laughs) but every time I got back from cycling, I would probably eat like two to 3000 calories (laughs) worth of food and just veg out just the rest of the day on the couch. That's the best part of exhausting yourself. I love eating so much after I'm done. You know, the first time. Uh, I did this uh, 20 mile run downtown without any training. I actually went to a concert that night. <laughs> so that was fun. I saw one of my favorite bands. They were in town. It's Black Moth Super Rainbow. They're like one of my favorites. Uh, they're one of my favorites. Uh, what's the uh, experimental electronic bands out there? Mm-hmm. And I, I was exhausted, but I'm like, screw this. I'm going to go see this concert no matter what. And I did. It was great. And I was, too tired the next day but luckily we're in an era without concerts right now so i don't worry about that pressure so, let's yeah, do a zoom concert and hold up your yeah. lighter in your home <laughs> yeah but that's in my projects for this month i'll update i think the next time we record is on the 27th which i might have accomplished it by then yeah that that's the scheduled day for the run so we might need to postpone the uh recording into like the 28th Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in about two weeks' time, I should uh, run around Town Lake twice as a plan. My main motivator is the podcast, The Adventure Zone. I'm almost done with their first story arc. They they done a few story arcs with different characters, different worlds, and that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the second story arc first, but people were like, "You should give the first arc a shot." So I did that, and it's really, really good. It's definitely appropriately read, I'd say. 
but the last episode's two hours and 40 minutes long. I was like, that's about the length of my long runs. Like, <laughs> so I'm going to, that's my reward to myself is to listen to that consecutively while I'm running. Right on. Anyways, though, we've been rambling on a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So today is a book review. Uh, that book, as I mentioned in the beginning, is Algorithms to Live By, uh, which is a book about how to apply the lessons learned in the past, I don't know, 70 or 80 years of computer science into our daily lives to help make a help make better decisions and more reasonable decisions with our life. It is a it's a lot, this book. It has a lot it covers. So we will not be doing our we will not be doing like a spark notes version of this review. We'll be talking more in a general sense because it is a very it's like a it's like a high level book that gives you like a an idea for like what all these things are and you could look into it further if you want to. So uh, let's start with you, Mark. What? Actually, no, let's not start. This isn't a typical review. <laughs> I'm getting out of myself. So this book is written by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths, who are both uh, in the computer science field. Uh, Brian Christian is actually a author now. He's He just released a book called The Alignment Problem, which is a very important problem that not many people are talking about, which is uh, about AI ethics. So he he's like this author that specializes in in comp sci, kind of like applied comp sci stuff to the masses. This book has a very long list of topics it covers. I'm just gonna give you a list of the chapter names. They are Automal Stopping, uh, When to Stop Looking, Explore, Exploits, The Latest versus the Greatest, Sorting, Making Order, Catching or Catching, Caching, Forget About. <laughs> scheduling first things first Bayes rule predicting the future overfitting when to think less relaxation let it slide randomness when to leave it to chance networking how we connect and game theory the minds of others uh, each one has like a has a tile and a subtile so that's what I was bringing off and yeah this book covers a lot from uh, it's gonna be hard to get started on uh, this review in particular but I picked this book, though, initially because I tried to read this book a couple of years ago. But for some reason, I could just never finish it. Although I liked the subject matter a lot. I think the author is a really good author. I never read his stuff before, but I like his writing style. And I have a mild fascination with computer science. Although I, I'm not formally trained in it, I think it's really fascinating. And uh, it also fits along in our purview of my life where I'm trying to... Uh, be it or where I'm trying to always improve my rational thinking and decision making. Uh, for a while, I was not for a while. I don't know how to describe this. There's this subculture on the internet called the rationality community, which is like a, it's a, it consists of people like Eliza Yukowski is a big one. Julia Galef, she's one of my favorite people in the community. Uh, Brian Kaplan. Uh, these are basically like really smart people. They're also really good communicators that that uh, talk about things like how to make better decisions with your life. Uh, Eliza Yukowski started out with the blog uh, Less Wrong, which was a blog that was kind of got big when I was in college. I actually didn't, I got contrarian in college and I didn't really read it that much, but I had friends that read it a lot, so I kind of had them give me the spark notes. Uh, Less Wrong isn't really that active anymore, as I understand. Uh, another big blog within this sphere is uh, Slate Star Codex, which is now Astro Astral Codex Ten, the uh, by the author 
or by the blogger Scott Alexander. Uh, he was recently semi-famous in the public light because the New York Times threatened to dox him for an article uh, because Scott Alexander is not his real name. And uh, the interviewer got his real name during the interview. And the interviewer said, like, I'm going to use your real name for the article. And a lot of people protested this because it's out of disrespect for his privacy. But uh, in general, this community is just basically like ways to kind of go down to first principles of like how people think and how we can make better decisions off of that. A big thing in the community is the all holy Bayes rule, which is covered in this book, uh, which is the way of uh, improving your predictions by having a prior and then adjusting it based off of the certain things in the past. So for example, uh, the famous Reverend Bayes who thought of it, he thought, of the, I think it was him that thought of the experiments. If it's not him that thought about this thought experiment, so one that teacher used to describe it a lot, it's that uh, say you, you emerge from the cave, like say you spent your whole life in the cave and you walk out into the sunlit field or prairie and you see that there's sun and you're like, oh, that's interesting. There's light around me. Then it sets. And you're like, okay, well, maybe that light just lasted this long. And then it rises the next day. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is like a more common thing, but I only know darkness. So I could just like assume that it will, it probably won't rise tomorrow, but like each day it gets incrementally better and better. You get better at predicting it until it approaches, but never exactly gets to 100%. And that's the basic premise of Bayes' rule. So that's like this whole community that I've been, I've been like following for a while. I listened to the podcast Rationally Speaking, which is hosted by Julia Gala, where she speaks to uh, various people in this field. I think that's actually how I discovered this book was her interview with the author. He was on Rationally Speaking or both the authors. And also I was recently listening to an episode with the author as well on the podcast, 80, on the 80,000 Hours podcast, which 80,000 Hours is a... It's a whole other subset in this community, but it's a podcast about the world's most pressing issues and how to, how you could use your career to make the world a better place, which I'm a big fan of that podcast. And so I picked up this book to improve my decision-making and then I just kind of putting it down and it took a podcast to really motivate me to do it. So I know that's a lot to say right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Mark has just learned a whole bunch of new things about, uh, these uh these subsets of people i follow so yeah uh <laughs> yeah it's a lot of, it's a lot of piping at la right there <laughs> <laughs> like um i have come across less wrong but i don't know anything about the subset of community um i only knew one name because of the less wrong blog uh, I knew n nothing else and I follow nothing else. And this was my first interaction with the book and the authors, though yeah. I must so, say yeah. that part of my personal theme this year was the theme of uncomfortability Yeah, <laughs> and included in that was, or that that I had talked about was uh, improved decision making. So it's mm. weird that we get it, that it circles back around to this because I did add like a decision journal or template to my notion setup to kind of test out and see about when it comes to making big personal decisions or whatnot to rate that. And one of the rating mechanisms was 
uncomfortability, Hmm. but it's still in the realm of trying to make better decisions for that. So it's, it's, it's interesting to hear all of those things and those people expressed. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if I'll ever be able to dive down into that, but it's nice to know that (laughs) that's there and I got a resource. It's it's just basically a place where a lot of smart people in their fields get together and just like talk about better decisions. Uh, Most of these people are in STEM fields though. There's a lot of economists in this, in this community because economics is all about decision making or economics is all about decision making. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of economists, like a, a famous one, Although he's not an economist, he's a psychologist, but he's basically the founder or one of the founders of behavioral economics is Daniel Kahneman. He wrote the book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. Which is a great oh, book. yeah. It's about yeah. biases and how humans are really bad at decisions in general. Yes. Yeah. Highly recommend yeah. that one. I use, I'm using, <laughs> it's so funny. I'm using, there's a piece of our quote in the book or a section I haven't read the full book, but um, I was doing research on the topic of written correspondence. And I've talked to you about this a little bit um, in which uh, it's the reflection versus reaction piece of written correspondence that we have. And that we're more so losing mostly from, from a personal correspondence, we're losing the reflection aspect as the other things require us to engage in quicker reactive responses like in text messages and stuff like that sometimes you can you can you get bits and pieces but you're just reacting and you don't really have time because the the platform itself demands instant communication and people have been more uh, attuned to receiving immediate responses therefore things like writing a personal email to somebody let alone handwriting a letter to someone yeah. um, is kind of out of the question. And a piece of uh, some of the context that I had pulled in regards to that was from the book Thinking Fast and Slow. <laughs> and I added it to my read list because it seemed very interesting. It is. Uh, Dan Common, for, I didn't really elaborate too much, he also got the Nobel Prize in, econ- in Economics mm-hmm. back in like 2010, 2012, maybe earlier than that. And he jokes around that he's only taken like one economics class in his life. <laughs> you get the Nobel Prize in, economic, in economics because uh, how his how his uh, psychological uh, research into prospect theory is what it's called uh, had it changed the entire field of economics. But yeah, it's a great book. Uh, as you guys can tell, we're kind of talking around this book right now because this book <laughs> is a very... <laughs> we're talking before this whole thing. Like this book is has so many points in it that it's hard to talk about one specific thing. So it's better to talk more about the general things that it's presented. And a lot of those things presented are things that are, uh, that tie into these different, uh, communities, so to speak. The, uh, the book itself though, do you have any thoughts on it, Mark? Any highlights you want to share? So when I was kind of, um, so I know I've said this before, and it was, so, and I don't know why I did it. Um, I'm kind of glad I did it, but I don't know why I did it. <laughs> and that was listen to the audiobook. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because it's one of those uh, you never know. Sometimes it, it ended up being a book that I wanted to take more notes than I could because of the yeah. audiobook portion of it. I have like so two then I, notes on 
readwise for this book. And that's, I actually had to control myself. There's a lot of things this book has. Yeah. And so I had like a slate of index cards that I was, I had to pause, rewind and and take down the note, et cetera. It's a little bit more difficult um, because with audiobooks, you're you're more likely to be doing something else. Anyway, that's my fault. But I did go back through and I've listened to it 1.7 times. <laughs> um, so I listened to the full book and then I was like, wow, that was a bit heavy. Let me <laughs> let me listen to this again. And I've gotten uh, mostly way through on the second time. And I was going back and taking notes on things. But again, so for me personally, it was I wrote (laughs) that it was a bit of a chore to get through. Now, Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that the book is bad or anything like that. It's just for me and the way it works, that is that it was just a little bit of a chore. There was Mm -hmm. so much there, so much theory, so much uh, so much about uh mathematical concepts and calculating and i'm like that is not when i was reading this or listening to this i was like this is totally a kyle book yeah i i really <laughs> like the more math there was the better as i saw it i these things kind of make me wish i i they make me want to do more pure math in my life of course i'm learning python right now which is a form of mathematics uh, it's more like discrete mathematics mm-hmm. but yeah it's like uh, it definitely really did uh, hit those notes I liked a lot. I will admit that I did feel overwhelmed with it a lot. Like I felt like when I finished the book, I was like, okay, I remember like five things. And he talked about like 30 <laughs> different things. <I'll, laughs> like True. It, it, even the interview I listened to with the author and 80,000 Hours podcast, they mostly focused on, I think, the... Uh, they mostly focused on the chapters of Optimal Stopping, Explore, Exploits, Mm-hmm. And I think uh, randomness and were the ones, and also co- computational kindness, which that one is a little bit less obvious in its name. Computational kindness is pretty much finding ways to make the uh, making somebody's computational power not take up too much space. So, for example, the one that they present in the book is: say you want to go out to eat, to, to eat with your friends tonight. And most people will be socially, will do the socially acceptable, like, I don't know, like I'm kind of feeling Chinese, but I could go for pizza kind of thing. The people will do that. But that actually offloads a lot of the thinking power onto the entire group. And everybody's like frustrated and annoyed that they can't come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And the better thing to do in that case is just to say, write then what you want. So to say, I want, what was it, Via 313 tonight. And that, if somebody else wants like Chinese food, they say what they want. And then like basically turns into votes at that point. And then you go off of that. And so trying to work your way through this winding maze of, Oh no, I could go this way or that way. And everything that they also suggest too is like, it's also really bad to just kind of like send an email saying like, Hey, when are you available in the next two weeks? It's better to say, Hey, I'm available on this day, this day, this day, this day, doing these work for you. And that, and that offloads the uh, computational, uh, power that they put into their decision making and so it's called computational kindness you're offloading it and you're making it simpler for both you and them but those are the ones that I must have done on the 80,000 hours podcast which I think are all the ones that kind of stand out in the book the optimal stopping was very fascinating optimal stopping is about when is the best time to stop 
in your decision making. For example, they used uh, a well. There's multiple examples they use, but say that like you are planning moving to a new apartment in your city, and you plan on looking at twenty apartments. Well, according to various computer science, I don't know how I don't know the proof for these things. I just know that they've been proven according to uh, this book. But you should stop at thirty-seven percent of the way there to your maximum number of places that you're going to look. And that, if it's better or worse than the last couple ones, doesn't matter. Take it. So it's it's a very it's like a way of like playing with probabilities. And this also makes assumptions that you will never uh, go back to the apartments and review them. Like if you look at an apartment, it's gonna be it's gonna be rented or not rented that day, or it's gonna be rented that day no matter what. Either you rent it or somebody else rents it. So it does take in the whole thing. And like the the example they also give is like uh, uh, looking for a uh, a uh, spouse. You should uh, whoever you're with at at age twenty nine, which is about thirty seven percent of the way through a human lifetime. To sell down with them, like it's the best you got so far. Still down with it. Uh, the author even jokes that his fiance remembers him saying that uh, he was dang her at three at thirty nine while he was researching the book at thirty nine at twenty nine when he was researching the book, and uh, he said to her, I "Was like, you know what? I'm all in. I'm twenty nine years old. Let's get married." <laughs> so uh, that was something he said on the interview I listened to that he says that he doesn't remember saying that, but his fiance remembers him saying that or his now wife remembers him saying that. And, uh, that was funny. Uh, the other thing too is explore and exploits, which is, I think is also very fascinating too, which is the process of exploring things, which is trying out new novel things in your life and exploiting, which has a really bad connotation here. And, uh, I guess in language in general, uh, exploiting in a computer science sense just means that you're using it. So say you're shopping for like a new phone, you explore different options, you look into the reviews, you might go to a showroom at like a T-Mobile store or whatever. And then once you get your new phone, you're now exploiting the new phone. You're not exploiting it in the way that we use it in like a malicious way. You just, you're just using it. And uh, that section was really good. It was a very dense section I'd say and I can't really cover what it talks about too much but he covers things like the multi arm bandit prom which is a oh man I'm just lost my dragon one <laughs> no, it, it, no it's again it, like each one each section is very heavy in mm-hmm. the information and even when I watched TED talks a Google talk <laughs> of uh, you know lectures with the authors I was kind of like, uh, okay, I, I, it's, it's still a bit much. So I, I think it's one of kind of one of those that you need to just focus on a chapter at a mm-hmm. time and not fly all the way. It's, it's a long, slow read, I think. Um, yeah, just read a we chapter. We could do an episode for each chapter, really, because of how dense this book is. Yeah, because in each one... You're presenting, especially so if you're not of an analytical mind, an engineer or mathematician, right? Um, The vehicle or the premise, as you can guess, even by the subtitle of the book, is that it's presenting all the information. Uh, The vehicle that it's using to deliver it is via computer science. So all the examples, the exploit, the explore, the caching, Mm -hmm. like I didn't think I would have to uh, read a book 
and hear about, you know, a cash eviction, et cetera, et cetera. I deal with that enough in my day job (laughs) that I, you know, didn't want to continue that throughout the day and nights uh, while listening to this. But that's the premise and that it's using that information um, or delivering that information. So not only is it explaining these computer concepts to you, it is also then converting and giving examples on how you can apply that to your behavior in life, mm-hmm. like caching and how you can either store documents that you're using or <laughs> arrange your closet, all based on how caching works in computers, yeah. right? Um, or how memory, accessing memory works, uh, your uh, paging on the disk uh, versus, you know, virtual memory, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it is a bit much to pull in. And then you're also pulling in all these other theories, mathematical, you know, calculations into each one to try to discern or make a decision or how to make a decision on a particular thing. Yeah. Let me, uh, I guess a good way to illustrate like how this book is, as I am mathematically minded, I have a degree in mechanical engineering. I'm learning programming right now. Uh, I love these kinds of things, but as I'm trying to recount this book, I don't remember that much about it. I kind of remember the high level things about it, but I don't mm-hmm. remember the specifics because there's so much they talk about. And I would love to share with you guys everything in this book because it's a really, I think it has some good points. And I find it very fascinating. If you're in the STEM fields, you might really like this book. And but. Well, it's like one of those things like where you're like you're done with it. It's like, well, I I think I learned something from that. It's like I remember like three <laughs> to five things in this book of, th- of thirty or more th- different things he talks about. Uh, like each each chapter, it sounds like there's like eleven things based off the based off the chapters, which seems fine. But each chapter has like different subsets, different versions of these problems. And the by the time you know it, you're like, he just talked about ten things this chapter. I don't remember a single one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a lot, I think. <laughs> and yeah, if you're not, maybe if you if you have a comp sci degree, you might appreciate this book more. I think so. I, I work in the tech field. I deal with this stuff. And but I would not say I'm of that mind, if you will. Yeah. Like I even I've yes, I've coded before, mm-hmm. but I'm mostly a designing, writing and analytical you know, analyzing text. Most mm. of my history has been technically tech, technical writing mm. is what I gravitated to, even though I've been in the tech field programming, uh, uh, compiling code and all of that, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. Um, analyzing applications and systems and, and, and things of that. So I, I understand the concepts and get the concepts and everything. It's still just I'm it's still a lot to actually go through and take in. Um, so I would be curious of those that aren't within the STEM or computer sci or of, of the engineering mathematician mind, how they actually take to this book and what they get out of it. And what those that are more deeply embedded within those fields than I am like yourself, what they get out of it. Because yes, as I, as I mentioned before, when I was reading this or going through this, I was like, this is, this is a Kyle book. Yeah. I wish <laughs> I liked it more. I think it would have been better if he would have 
cut down to six chapters, I think, and spent more time like really exploring everything. Uh, so that way we could exploit it better. So he used a term in the book. But since there's just so much of it, it so little is actually retained when you're done with it, which is never but good. They, they did cut a lot. Uh, in one of the lectures that they were talking about, they were yeah. like, they have whole sections that they <laughs> they, they didn't even include in wow. here. Um, so that they the may release someday, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah wow yeah it, it's it's a it's just a big book and and uh i i was intimidated for recording this episode because there's just so much in the book and i was like i'm gonna have to prepare for this episode so that's why i've just kind of been rambling on with everything i could think of on the top of my head because uh it's just there's just so much <laughs> and like that's not a bad thing like right, going to this book, right. if you read this book and you're like, oh, that's a really good thing. I should apply that to this problem I'm working on or I should apply that to my weekly routine. Like when it comes to like deciding like what to do next or just like in general, like you just like good life advice. Like there are things in this book that are valuable and I think that people should consider seeing it as like a high level thing. But I wouldn't come out of this book. I wouldn't go into this book expecting to come out with a whole new perspective. Really. Right. It's not yeah. like... It's not like Atomic Habits, which focuses on one thing really well for the entire book. And that uh, the simplicity in that is what made that book such a powerful book. Like this book could easily be a book for each chapter. And you'd come out being like, wow, I just learned a lot about like applying, I don't know, better ways to schedule based off of computer science. <laughs> but yeah, it, it just is a lot. And it's, it's a really strange book. So I guess we're getting done to... Final thoughts already. And I guess since I'm already talking, I'll just share mine first. I think that this book, as I said, has a lot of good things in it. It's a lot though. There's some chapters that you'll completely forget. I forgot about the caching and scheduling chapters entirely. Uh, (laughs) I barely remember sorting. Uh, Overfitting and relaxation. I kind of remember randomness. I thought that was pretty fascinating. So I had to apply randomness to your life when it comes to decision making. Those are really cool. Networking had some really cool uh, history on like how the internet was made, but I don't remember any tips and tricks he mentioned in that in that chapter. I was like, that's a cool, that's a cool little tidbit on like how the internet works. That's cool. Uh, but in the end, though, the ones I remember the most are actually the chapters I read before I quit the first time, which were the <laughs> first three chapters. And even then, I remember the first two more than the first than the third one. So. Uh, my final thought for this book and review would be read it if you're interested, but don't uh, don't pick up thinking that it's going to make any big difference in your life. Uh, if you're into comp sci already, you might be like, oh, that's cool. I didn't think about it that way. But if you're less so, it might be not, it might not have the same impact. The author is really good. I think he's a great writer. Uh, the the topics he covers are really fascinating, but yeah, just so much. So my, I'm going to do this two reviews like we tend to do sometimes. I give it a three. It's a mixed bag for people that just want to pick this book up. But personally, my Goodreads review is a four because I did enjoy it. I feel like I did take some things out of it because I'm more than the target audience of the book. How about you, Mark? Um, for me, like I said, it's, it is... So I'm not the target audience, but if you are, you know, like I mentioned, someone of an analytical mind, a math lover, mathematician, engineer, 
someone in a computer science, deep within a computer science field. This may be more for those people, uh, something that they're able to connect and relate to a little bit more process. Because I know there, I mean, there's, again, I know there are people that think of things in that particular way. Uh, so they may be able to apply that information much easier than if they were to read something else like that. I know people who start who start decisions or conversations about buying milk, about theoretical math, you know, mathematical concepts of time. What is time, really? <laughs> but and then they go off whatever, and then it's like, so that's why I decided to buy half a gallon of milk and I'm like <laughs> okay so I definitely know that that there's people like that that's not my not me uh, while I do enjoy reading I do love parsing language and breaking down this if you do read it it's definitely something that you should keep a notepad next to you mm-hmm. um, and something that you should Definitely underscore many things uh, related to those those concepts, to other mathematical laws or rules, you know, um, so that you can look those up and get an understanding of all the things that it's actually referencing and how it's applying that into productivity or lifestyle advice. So with that, again, it's not for me, even though weirdly I like reading like scientific studies, legal, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, proceedings. I was up to one o'clock reading, uh, you know, a judgment court judgment. Like, I think it was like 20 pages or whatever. Not that big, but, um, I was just reading the court judgments and the arguments lay forth. I read stuff like that, but I know other people don't read it. And so me reading this was a little bit of a chore. I think I would rather read court judgments than this, but (laughs) Wow. It's not a bad book. It's really not. Um, It's just not for my particular taste, but there is good information in here. Um, I was able to uh, associate like with the 37% rule, the housing example, when I was actually buying my first house, it's like, oh, yes. Or when I was actually looking for apartments, like there are things that you can get to is just you have to sift through a lot of the technical stuff and you may need to read it more than once yeah so i would rate this for me a three out of five i think there's something there but uh you will need to there is a lot so you'll need to take your time it's not something to just breeze through yep that sounds like a good uh review for it it's yeah read it at your discretion if you're more stimmy than other people, then give it a shot. If you're less stimmy, uh, then up to you. Flip a coin if you want to read it or not, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, well, that takes us to our next topic, which is a topic inspired by a favorite of the show, Chris Bailey. I was listening to an episode (laughs) of the podcast Focus, which is a really good productivity podcast. They do longer episodes than we do. Uh, They're uh, highly recommend. They have a... They're a mix between two dudes talking like we are and guest based. And they have a, they had an episode recently with Chris Bailey about meditation and productivity. But Chris Bailey mentioned a thing that I thought was very fascinating called the resistance list, which is a list of things, or you create a list of things that you're resisting doing. So things that you're like, I don't want to do that right now. And 
and spend ha- at least half an hour. He recommends an hour, but I think half an hour is a good way to get started. Spend half an hour each day working on one of those tasks. And that's what we'll be doing is that we'll be trying to find ways to get those, uh, trying to find ways to conquer those mental blocks that we put upon ourselves, especially when it comes to working on things that you don't want to do. And spend at least half an hour. I think the half hour is a good rule because it's good to get you started and it's not a high commitment. And then by the next thing you know, you might be spending two hours working on this task. So that's what we'll be doing next is a resistance list. Uh, you can check the show Focus as well, which I highly recommend. Michael will link to it in the show notes when he puts this episode together. But in the meantime, though, uh, you could find me, Kyle, at KyleSQ9 on Twitter and Instagram. I also have my personal blog at Quadrant9.net, which I'm planning on maybe writing some more on. But I also spun out my fiction writing into its own, on its own uh, I was going to say subreddit, <laughs> into its own website now, uh, which is Jonathan K. Webb, Jonathan K. Webb with two B's dot com. And that has all my fiction writing in it. So that's Jonathan K. Webb with two B's dot com. Uh, where can people find you, Mark? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ask Markio. That is Ask Mark I.O. And you can find all my writings and newsletter on my website at askmark.io. You can also find all the wonderful things that we referenced in the show notes at our website, tpl.show for short, or theproductivitylab.show. Meantime, stay productive. Welcome to the nerve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the hardest part of the entire show is the freaking intro line. <laughs>